I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Is the praise that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer received for being shrewd and methodical during his first transfer window when he dropped $145 million on Daniel James? England's sixth best right back and a refrigerator. <laughs> this is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. Imagine the first thing you do when you get out to Spain. Your first holiday in two years. You run back to the apartment you're staying in, you throw everything upside down trying to figure out how the fuck the Wi-Fi works, you finally get it working, and then you see Tyrone Mings make himself a hologram to let Callum Wilson through, and it was like, <laughs> what am I doing with my life here? Like, well, What sort of partner am I that we're on holiday and it's like, everything stopped, Villa are playing, and this is what I'm watching? This is what everything is stopping for. Ah, this is the life of a Villa supporter, I suppose, then. <laughs> the life of a Villa supporter's missus, I suppose. Um, <laughs> like getting turned so easily is one thing. Stopping playing as a centre half while a centre forward is bearing down in goal is another thing altogether. But when that centre forward is one-on-one with your goalkeeper because of your cock-up, it's unforgivable. <laughs> I mean, you can't stop playing a game of football at any level, never mind the Premier League, and just turn around and start having a whinge at the referee, especially when we all know it's just out of embarrassment because nobody believes for a second that you think you were fouled, Tyrone. I mean, turning around and saying to the ref, that's not fair, I want a free kick. Like, Did I actually witness that? Five minutes into a game, the first five minutes of football, since we were embarrassed by newly promoted Watford from our captain. Piss off. It reminded me of Glenn Whelan against West Brom in the playoff semi-final, first leg at Villa Park. But I can't believe we've started this podcast on a massive negative 2-0 win. Steve Bruce has come to town and handed us the points that he always gives us. And 
it was a professional performance. We saw it out well. We we played well, reasonably. The the Villa Park crowd was it was that that level of of positivity and and support coming from it that I thought, yeah, this is going to be a good place to play this season. You sort of forgot what it was like without the without the fans. Now it's always caveat it with it was Newcastle, it was Steve Bruce's Newcastle. But what like we're up and running. Two games down, we've got our we've got our victory, and what a way to do it as well! What a way to start the ball rolling with with Danny Ings coming in with a a bicycle kick, scissor kick, overhead kick, whatever you want to call it, a fucking screamer, and finally, finally, we see that there is a point to Matt Cash's long throws. Yeah, I mean the the best thing about that goal was well, only for me was how annoyed I was beforehand. <laughs> you know, I spent the first forty seven minutes slaughtering in my own head. Danny Ings, he just couldn't get into the game. He wasn't suited to the role. Bad movement, poor composure and confidence just slowly draining from him <laughs> of every passing minute. And the throw-in, like I, I was sitting there just watching it going, why are we all wasting our time pretending we think Matt Cash is good at throw-ins? This is a joke. But Christ almighty, what a goal. And big Tyrone, to be fair to him, he came yeah. good. It took him 43 minutes, but Jesus Exactly where we wouldn't expect him to come good. His flick on is absolutely incredible. And Danny Ings, Jesus Christ, what a goal. What a finish. It really does um, put an end to that drama around Ollie Watkins, Danny Ings. Like We said this before when Villa were linked with Tammy Abraham. It was, it was basically our strategy can't be hoping Ollie Watkins can't or won't get injured for the rest of the season because that would be insane. We were so lucky last year that he played 37 matches and only missed one through suspension when it didn't matter at the end of the season. Like We were so reliant on him and to just hope that he would play 37 games again was bonkers. So when Danny Ings signed, rather than excitement, there was a lot of excitement and fairness from, from most corners, but a lot of other corners were, were thinking... Where does he fit in? We don't need him. What's the point? Watkins better not move out wide. Two games down, Watkins hasn't played. Danny Ings has scored twice. And he scored the goal that you would expect from Danny Ings. Yeah, like, you know, he's a sort of, Danny Ings is a sort of boy that you would excuse not doing anything for 40 minutes or being frustrating for 40 minutes because he has ice running through his veins and he just knows how to finish. And that is a quality that most people don't have. Yeah, and look, it's I'm not exactly going out on a limb whenever I say Wesley wouldn't have scored that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Big Wes wasn't swiveling on that and spinning it over his shoulder into the into the net while the keeper's just standing there trying to figure out what happened. Wesley is awkwardly taking that down and shuffling it back out to Douglas Louise. <laughs> it's incredible, and it's exactly what we what we brought Danny Ings in for. Danny Ings will score us goals this season. And Danny Ings can play as our centre forward whenever our number one centre forward isn't there. Gives us options. We can play two up top. Ings can play out wide. Watkins can play up wide. If we're getting desperate and the system isn't working. We've got options. We've got another good player in the squad. And just to even think about it, we only had three injuries coming into this game. Three big injuries, to be fair. Three players you would expect to start or really be pushing for it. But with those three players out, boom, there you have it. Newcastle United, Sports Direct's Newcastle United, looked like they had a better front six in us for the first 15 minutes of that match. Yeah. And imagine if we hadn't assigned Danny Ings, how much more stark that would have been with just a tree playing up front for us. <laughs> would you rather Julington or Wesley up front? 
Oh, like what's the fucking why are you asking me that like what a what a waste of time would i rather have a punch in the face or a punch in the stomach who cares they're both shit <laughs> um and let's face it when var is good var is good <laughs> <laughs> so got a goal that would have been missed other other than var coming in and saying you might want to check for that handball we'll talk about that in whatsapp winges um and then <laughs> we'll also talk about emmy martinez and his what the fuck moment but my God, it's great. Just I was worried about these thick lines. I wasn't sure, you know. I was looking at the pitch, going, "There's a line drawn there." He's ob- he's obviously the only one that's over it in the other shade of grass, um, and it was brilliant because initially I was thinking they're going to check for a red card for Emmy Martinez, and then it was when when he when he started that sentence, I thought there it is, and it said more drama here because VAR is checking for offside. <laughs> 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 Unbelievable, and it's just exactly what Steve Bruce deserves. Yeah, it was it was glorious as well. But the the really irritating moment was when they checked. This is when VAR just isn't being used to its fullest potential. Is when they checked Murphy's dive. I mean, the irony of Ashley Young being absolutely apoplectic, incandescent with rage at somebody diving. I'm sure it wasn't wasn't lost on any neutrals watching. It wasn't lost on me anyway. I mean, it couldn't have been a clearer dive from Murphy. And if VAR is allowed to check for a penalty, then surely. They should just be allowed to check for an obvious dive. Like nobody watching that could have come away with any other conclusion. I mean, if you can give a penalty looking at a video replay, then you can give a fucking dive as well, and you can just book the player. I mean, it, it's the ref watches or the VAR watches it, tells him it's not a penalty. He surely tells him it's a dive as well. So just give him the yellow card, and we'll all move on. That wouldn't have caused a second of controversy for everybody, for anybody. Yeah. It always comes back to that. Like, do you want to get rid of diving or not? And it seems that they don't. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're not using all the tools at their disposal to get rid of it. It's it's bizarre stuff. Just fucking book the diving little cheating bastard and tell Ashley Young that he's right. It is a disgrace when people die. <laughs> that sets us up perfectly for some WhatsApp winges. WhatsApp winges, mostly positive or mostly Newcastle oriented. Um, considering we had a, a nice victory. I love I love a 2-0 win. I must say, it's my favourite win. It always suggests control. But the first one, you have to tell me what moment you think this was uttered in my head. It's two words. Season's over. <laughs> I, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to guess when Callum Wilson went through, but it was actually before the game when I saw Leon Bailey was injured with a with a minor hamstring injury. I've heard this before. It was Ross Barkley who had a minor hamstring injury and missed <laughs> missed nine or ten games. Yeah, and that was a blessing in disguise. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I'm complaining about that one. But um when I saw Bailey was out and then I looked and once again it was like what what's happened to all these signings we've made? And you know, I don't, I don't want to get out of me. He, he buried his penalty, but El Ghazi was playing once more, and and the bench was looking weak. And I knew he wasn't going to reach for Chuck Wemaga and and Jaden as much as we want them to. And Wesley was the other option. And suddenly it was looking at a Newcastle loss. It started spiraling, obviously, as I touched down in Spain. <laughs> and, uh, I'm looking at, at Bailey not being there because I was thinking from the Watford game, why didn't we just play? Chuck Wemmicka and play Bailey and play Bundia. Like that would have been a lovely three behind the 
the front man now the problem would have been still playing the twos we always would have had that issue playing McGinn and the Camba on their own in midfield but it still would have been a better more exciting attack but then when I saw this one and I saw Bailey was out and we know that's going to take its toll now along with Watkins it's going to it's going to keep taking over like Watkins has already rolled out for the Burnley match next so yeah look I'm already doing it after after a win I'm I'm going out of control here yeah but like the other way to think about that is that it forced Dean Smith's hand. He, he had to play Jacob Ramsey, which means he played three in midfield. Slightly one more slightly advanced than the others, but you know, Jacob Ramsey was definitely helping out a lot more defensively than you would expect Leon Bailey to. And yeah, you said last week that Jacob Ramsey needs to shit or get off the pot. Well, he had diarrhea today, pal. Like <laughs> Jacob Ramsey was absolutely brilliant. When he that was pot was his. <laughs> No one else is going near that fucking pot. <laughs> when he was on, when he was in the game, he was very, very good. He wasn't probably in it as much as I would like. He wasn't as dominating as I would like, and that's what you would expect from someone so young playing centre midfield. But when he was in the game, he was very good. He was very aggressive on the ball, much like he was last week. He carried his form from last week yeah. into this game, and he just was too good for the Newcastle players at times. He had a bit of a swagger, all right. Like he, he, um, he looked stronger as well. He looks, he looked confident in his body strength, which is a big thing to develop at that age. Or people get it at different different ages. I don't know who described it as man strength before, but like it's just a case of people developing physically um, later than others. Like Louis Barry, you know, Louis Barry is obviously a class footballer, but he just needs to develop his man strength whenever that comes. But right now, he look, he still looks like an underage player. Um, whereas Jacob Ramsey, you now he was was sort of enjoying the challenges, and he was. He was taking up players' space, you know, which is probably what you're referring to when you mean being aggressive on the ball as well. Like he was, he was cutting across Newcastle players, and he was, uh, yeah, just confidence was oozing out of him. And I felt like he, he started having a bit more of a swagger as the game wore on as well. I loved that left-footed shot. It was never going to score, but he had he had created it, and and why not? And he strutted away as if to say, yeah, there, there's an there's another chance. Do you know, like it was, um, it's exactly what I want to see from him. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, the, the confidence to take somebody's space is a big thing. I mean, the, the, the big step up between players who are shit like me and players who are brilliant like Jacob Ramsey is that whenever they've got the ball, whenever they've got a player lined up, they're just going past them and then making the player lose his feet and lose his position. Whereas whenever I'm doing it, I'm waiting for them to give me the opportunity. Whereas Jacob Ramsey today was just taking his opportunity to go past players in the first instance. He wasn't waiting for them to step out of position to to show him the angle. He was just running at them. I mean, you run at centre midfielders. It's not that difficult to go past them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just ask ours. <laughs> Second WhatsApp wins. Does Lascelles know what handball is? Yeah, look, it, it was... It was very, very strange for anybody to be confused by that. It is without question a penalty. His his arm is out. It's solid. It's four yards from his goal line. There's nobody behind him. Like it's what you would expect a goalkeeper to do in that position. Yeah. Spread yourself like a starfish. It was like big Peter Schmeichel throwing himself across the goals. Yeah. It was it was it was a brilliant save if it was the goalkeeper. <laughs> like and he was also spread a, a good second before Ming's got his head on us. You know, it, it, as you said, his arm was planted in the air, like rigid, waiting for it to be blocked. And 
And uh, yeah, it, it, <laughs> the, the argument I think from a lot of Newcastle fans I'm seeing online as well that it was too close. Like your arm does never, like it never needs to be there. And this this includes when somebody's jumping or when somebody's falling to the ground because where does it stop? Like I get that it's close. I get that your arm's there, but it's 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 your <laughs> it's your prerogative to get the, to get the get the arm out of the way. Like <laughs> there's no need for it to be there. He's obviously obstructing the natural flow of the game, the natural path of the ball. Get your fucking arm out of the way. Like I, I, I could fall to the ground with my arm first to stop a ball, and then say, "But I was just falling, and it was too close." But like I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't be allowed to do that. I'm not allowed to do that. It would be a penalty, and I would expect any Newcastle player and any Newcastle fan, if the shoe was on the other foot, to expect that to be a penalty for them as well. I can't now. It's an absolute red herring. Like, you know, don't don't bother listening to anybody that's using the it's too close to be a penalty. Of course it's close. They're both in the six yard box. <laughs> he's on the fucking line, essentially. Of course Tyrone Mings is close to him when he's heading it inside the six yard box. You can, like the, the close argument goes out the window when you're the last man literally stopping the ball from crossing the line. <laughs> All right, last WhatsApp wins. This one's the most annoying of them all. What is the fucking point of Steve Bruce? <laughs> this boy, like, he's got his dream job right, at, at a club with a profile way above what he deserves. And here's the thing. Like, even though he's at a club with all that potential and he's at a club, like, he'd stagnated in his career. He'd gone down to Sheffield Wednesday. He just got plucked by the, the Mike Ashley crane dragging up the next cheap option. So now he's here. It's it's his it's his club. But I don't know if it's fear or if it's just shitness that he is he's afraid to do anything with it. But nobody appreciates the job that he's doing. So why is he so intent on continuing to do it exactly like this? And why is he so afraid to deviate from, from whatever the fuck his method is? Like what? What is the point of him? And what's he worried about? He's never going to get an opportunity like this ever again. It's not going to come. Like, as soon as he loses his job, he's not he's not getting back on the merry-go-round this high up. He'll, he'll, he'll always fall back down to a Sheffield Wednesday job. Like, that's that's going to be there for him afterwards. Like, no matter how much he balls us up here, his CV says Newcastle job, Premier League manager, last. So don't worry about it. You, you'll... You'll pick up a Birmingham job again or whatever whatever it is you're looking for. I'm not sure what what his fear is. And right now, he's not doing anything with this opportunity. And he's not doing anything that'll make anybody want them to stay. It's it's such it's such a waste. And everybody knows the I know I know Mike Ashley is a big blockade to Newcastle's progression, but it's still a massive club with as passionate a fan base as you'll find. It it should be it should be a really exciting job, even with the restrictions that the owner put you under. Yeah, and that you started that rant saying what was the point and Steve Bruce, and there's a very short answer to that. There isn't one. And the slightly longer answer goes into just the waste of time that he is. Talks about the fact that we have to watch a Steve Bruce team twice a year minimum. Yeah, everybody does in the country, and it's just not fair on us. I mean, we're, we all love football. We all dedicate so much of our lives to it. We shouldn't be expected to twice a season to spend 100 minutes involved in Steve Bruce's little world. I mean, it's just 
a seedy underworld of football that nobody should be exposed to. I'm too innocent to be dragged into that. I just want to watch football on a Saturday afternoon. I want to watch whatever Steve Bruce is serving up. <laughs> the camera constantly cuts to him as well. You know, after another Newcastle player falling backwards 20 yards out, just floats a ball over the bar. And it cuts to him as if, you know, what, what reaction are you expecting from him? He's not going to be shocked. He's not going to be disappointed. He shouldn't be anyway. He's not going to be giving you a hint that the plan is working. Keep it going, boys. <laughs> it just cuts him. And it's like he's just a fan on the sideline hoping somebody will do something. And he's not doing anything to intervene. It's it's so sad. I just think of the, the amount of managers who would give the right arm for, for that job. And he's just he's just there watching things happen. Yeah, and look, they, they got absolutely spanked by West Ham last weekend. And all Steve Bruce did was change the personnel. He didn't change anything. And this was coming into a game. Fair enough, it was a way to a team that you're not as good as. But it was coming into a game against Aston Villa, who the story all summer has been, can they do it? Can they recover from Jack Grealish? They've just lost to Watford. They could have should have come steamrolling into this game and got at Villa. And they were much better than I was expecting them to be in the first 15 minutes. But they were still shit. They still didn't really... It was all individual players doing individual things. There was no pattern to what they were doing. And to be honest, most of the time, they were just looking for the counter-attack. It was, it was pathetic and just not the way to approach a game that was there for them to recover from last week. I don't want to talk about Steve Bruce anymore. You shouldn't have fucking brought him up. <laughs> All right, categories next. Mike Ashley has turned Newcastle into a discount sports company and appointed a discounted bargain basket manager. Glenn Roeder, Kenny Dogalish, Sam Allardyce, and Steve Bruce. <laughs> what a fucking parade of cavemen. Like, that is the only reason Andy Carroll is a professional bubbler. Only Steve Bruce and Neil Warnock have got promoted more times than Mick McCarthy. That's not even a good stat because the good managers kept their teams up <laughs> and then progressed their careers. <laughs> Dean Smith will never get another team promoted from the championship because he won't be there. Brendan Rodgers won't get another team promoted from the championship because he won't be there. Pep Guardiola once again reveals himself to be a cunt. Do me a fucking favour, as if Jack Grealish needs to go play under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to progress his career. <laughs> that is absolutely a step backwards. Put this on record, United won't be within 10 points of the title. I genuinely believe that, and I'm not even trying to exaggerate, it's not hyperbole. Three, four games of, of bad run, United are out of the title race, like that, and that will happen to them, that will definitely happen. What gets Sean Dyche out of bed in the morning? Like, how does he do it? Imagine how exciting a job that would be. Imagine coming home and saying to your partner, I got a new job! I'm a football manager! And then going out and doing that with it? What a waste of time! 
Steve Bruce is a graying pair of slazing your socks in the basket by the checkout that nobody wants. The Peter Enkelman What the Fuck Award. Is Tyrone Mings trying to get this category named after himself? <laughs> Obviously he's nominated, we've talked about him already. I've got I've got one nomination here. Do you remember Jacob Ramsey had that lovely mazy run and he started driving towards the I suppose the right wing, but going forward with it, he was going diagonally, waiting for support, and Buendia was there. And he didn't Buendia just didn't run. Now Ramsey should never have played it where he did, but he tried to play it on the outside of the fullback, but Buendia was sort of hanging back, just looking for an easy ball, whereas Ramsey wanted him to be more aggressive and and he passed it and then gave out to him. It was almost like he passed it just to make a point. You know, you should be there. It was like he gave the ball away for that reason. But I blame Buendia there because I don't want them coming back out and looking for a, a handy ball in space. Make the hard run. Get the hard ball. Yeah, and to be honest, Buendia had a had an interesting game. I mean, he was very, very good defensively. I don't think anybody could, could question his appetite and his hunger to get back and give a hand. But offensively, he just wasn't disciplined enough. And it... It's okay, and I'm sure he was instructed to go floating, to go get on the ball, but you have to go floating in between Newcastle's back line and Newcastle's midfield. There's no point in coming floating back out to your centre halves. That's not your job. Be brave. Stay in there. Demand the ball in a tight area. Force John yeah. McGinn and Douglas Louise and Jacob Ramsey to play hard balls into you, difficult passes that will split the lines and then have you facing... Admittedly, Newcastle's five defenders, but you know at least it's only five players in. Because Buendia getting the ball with nine Newcastle players in front of him is pointless. It's irrelevant. He's only going to have to come back. But little things like that were happening. Like if we we're going to be critical about today, the, the little things like that were happening for most of the game. I mean, the passing, the connections, and the understanding about what the other players wanted to do was alarming at times. I mean, at, in the first half. There was one moment where Young gave the ball to Mings and Mings just rejects the ball into his midfielder. Like his centre midfielder who's in space and it's Douglas Louise who's got a good first touch and it's not a difficult ball. He doesn't have to wrap it into him. But Mings rejects the pass and he plays it to Konza who plays it to Cash. And then Cash just played a 100-yard ball to the to the ball boy out over the Newcastle end line. It was just because nobody made that run. But Cash just put his head down and played it as if that was the run that they had been working on. And they were doing that a lot. You know, there was a couple of times where where there was one where El Ghazi and McGinn both caught inside. They were always going to shoot. There was no adjustment for the realities of the world around them. And on both occasions, with yeah. a bit of composure, Young and Cash were actually in. And they were in acres of space behind the back line. But both players just had a spank and they went spiraling out of control. And that that was just that was the only worrying thing about today because the patterns were there. It was just that the players weren't weren't aware of which pattern to use because there was other players in positions that they could have found and they were forcing it whenever it wasn't actually on, whenever the player was switched off and didn't make that hard run. And that, like I, I don't want to say it's a Norwich thing because obviously Buendia was really good, but I remember I remember the first time Norwich were up in the Premier League. Remember they got. He got hammered by Liverpool in the first game of the season. Everyone was raving about them because they passed the ball. But they, 
they look so passive. Like they, they were passing the ball to nobody in dangerous areas. Yeah, they kept the ball, but they didn't go anywhere with it because they weren't brave. They weren't strong. They weren't aggressive. And I don't, I don't want to see that. Like I'm not saying this is a different way at Villa because like God knows at Villa are at the minute. But I want to see that that hard run. And like I've always said, like a hard run makes an easier chance. And if you go for the easier ball, then it's, it's a harder chance because Buendia pulling back there has made Ramsey's initial burst pointless because it's just allowing the rest of the defence to filter back into space and, and set themselves up. And like, you know, and then what's going to happen? We all know it. And Buendia is going to go back to cash, Kanza, Mings, ball boy. <laughs> and we all know, yeah, like the hard run makes the easier chance. So make the hard run. Yeah, yeah. Last nomination and has to be the winner. Emmy Martinez coming out and fucking cleaning. Was it Callum Wilson? Yeah. Um, straight into his neck. <laughs> um, only getting away with it because because Vars looked at someone beforehand and like it's it's annoying as well because like that 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 should be a goal. Like the Ming thing is a cock up, but like that's a definite goal. What Martinez did there, or not say it says a penalty, but it should be a goal. And that's then two games. With Emmy Martin is not keeping a clean sheet. That's not what I want. That's not what I expect from this guy. And I don't expect him to be giving away goals and then make the game a lot more nervy with over 20 minutes to go as well. Yeah, and because Newcastle had the ball for about five minutes before that as well, they had got themselves into the game, which is what you would expect whenever the opposition goes 2 0 up. But it was still, I was panicking. I was like, 15 minutes now to hang on and we will be hanging on. Yeah. But what in the name of God is he playing at? I mean, that's easily the worst moment of his Aston Villa career. And that includes the time he sent a hologram out to play for him against West Ham. You know, <laughs> he, he lost his composure. He lost his head. And Callum Wilson nearly lost his as well. It was absolutely <laughs> diabolical for Martinez. Did he get his yellow card rescinded because of that? Of course he didn't get his yellow card rescinded. What? What are you talking about? What? Like, the, the guy's offside, but you're... If the referee blows the whistle and then I jump into your neck, do you want me not getting booked? <laughs> but he but he only had to jump into his neck because he was offside. You never have to jump into somebody's <laughs> neck. <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> Tim Sherwood, we play two number 10s and bamboozled them award. Um, we give them enough grief last week for playing the four two three one. So the four three three was back in force. Maybe it was enforced, but um, it was great to see the right decision and the manager deserves credit for getting there. However, he got there. Yeah, it's it's definitely the right decision because Jacob Ramsey was our best player, and playing that system gets the best out of the midfield personnel that you have. Villa cannot play a two man midfield. There's no combination that works. Unless maybe when we're playing Norwich, we might get away with it. But even then, you're asking for trouble because the boys can't do it. And a lot of people think that John McGinn, a lot of people who aren't Aston Villa fans who are looking in from the outside, think that John McGinn is our big-name player. You know, he gets linked to Man United, to Liverpool. But John McGinn is so much better whenever we're playing a 4-3-3. Jacob Ramsey was our best player again today. Douglas Louise needs the help whenever he's playing that lone anchor role. It's yeah. an absolute no-brainer. I mean, you're losing something slightly in attack when you've got it, but McGinn and Ramsey can join in. They can join in a lot more. And I'm just, I'm so excited about Jacob Ramsey this season. I think he's had an incredible start and he's an incredibly talented young man. 
who I think will flourish if we stick to the four three three system. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I'm excited. What 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 about um I, I mentioned Jaden Philogene Badesi at the start of the podcast. What what would you not have preferred to see him play today? Like uh, what 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 is Dean Smith's problem with these young boys? Like they have to be given a chance at some stage, and I just think all the managers would be quicker to throw them in. But you're saying they have to be given a chance at some stage. Second game of the season, Conan. I mean, like, like the two young boys don't have ninety minutes between them in their four appearances, five appearances. Whose fault's that? <laughs> like we have to remember, we lost the game we should never have been losing in the last game. And I know El Ghazi wasn't good today. And he was definitely our worst player. He was he was a non-event. He was irrelevant to the game apart from his penalty. El Ghazi's like a hockey player, a specialist who's coming on for the penalty corners. Who just comes <laughs> on and smashes one into the top corner and then just jogs back off. <laughs> and by fuck, I would bring him on every time. <laughs> like, it is it, it, absolutely pointless to the game, but there's no way that Dean Smith was going to take that risk having lost the game. Villa should have six points based on the fixture list. I mean, it couldn't have been a kinder fixture list to us at the start of the season. And to lose that game, he wasn't going to take a risk. I mean, at least he knows what he's getting from El Ghazi. He's going to get somebody who will work hard, be shit, and if we get a penalty, we'll score it. <laughs> what would you trust El Ghazi to hit off your head from 12 yards out? <laughs> I think I think I'd go for a fucking pin on top of my head and, and he, would, he would just skim my hair and take it off. He is he is absolutely lethal in that position. And look, looking at the game, Newcastle were playing five defenders and every single one of them is shit. So there was a really, really big chance that Aston Villa were going to get a penalty today. <laughs> so maybe that's what Dean Smith was thinking. Last one. I don't think this deserves a nomination for the Tim Sherwood Award. Probably more to the you let Glenn Whedon take a 90th minute penalty. Remember, remember Glenn Whedon? Steve Bruce let Glenn Whedon take a 90th minute penalty. <laughs> We're not talking about him anymore. Um, him or Bruce. Um, Twan Zabi into midfield. I, th- I thought he was coming on and they were just going three at the back or five at the back. And Twan Zabi was just floating around in the middle of the pitch. But, but Twan Zabi has, has played there by all accounts for Man United at underage level. He had drifted in there once or twice for Aston Villa as well. And I liked I liked it being tried today because I wouldn't mind giving it a look. It's not a position that I think you can just convert into. And I don't like the idea of converting professional footballers. I mean, Twan Zabi has played 10 years of his life at Manchester United and Aston Villa as a centre-half. He is a centre-half. And the idea that you can get, just get dropped into midfield is probably a bit fanciful. But Villa do need and will need help in there. So why not give it a go in a game that was over at that stage? Douglas Louise definitely needed to come off. He was doing nothing. He was His race was run. He was obviously knackered. So give it a go because we're going to need to do that a lot more this season. Oh, hang on. Are you saying are you saying Twanzebe is the answer for our defensive midfield problem? No, I'm not saying that absolutely and under no circumstances <laughs> am I saying that Axel Twanzebe is the answer, but I'm saying he might he might become a necessity because we know that Nakamba doesn't work. We know that Douglas Louise often doesn't work. So why not give this a lash? But in the background, please fucking sign a midfielder. <laughs> <laughs> the Vyman meter, here we go. Going up, 
for the second week in a row, Mr. Ashley fucking Young. This this guy looks like a player who's played above this level. And <laughs> I know that sounds obvious, but you don't often see that when a player is dropping down. Like he, he looks like somebody who's been playing with United and winning Serie A titles. Like, I always remember Jamie Carragher, he says it a lot about how he didn't want to. He had, he had offers after after Liverpool, even Everton tried to sign him. Um, but he didn't He didn't want to drop down because he, he thought he wouldn't be protected as much. He thought he was sort of done and he'd probably look better in a better team. But if he went down to the championship, he thought he would be exposed and his season would be over in a few months or his career would be over. Um, whereas Ashley Young, like he's 36 and obviously he looks after himself remarkably well. But like he just knows what he's doing. He knows where to be. We, we laughed last week about knowing where to stand. He does know where to stand. And <laughs> on the ball, he's so cool. And like the players are deferring to him a lot as well. It always goes back to him. He's almost, when the ball goes over to that left-hand side, he's now the one controlling the play. Well, the options are Gazi or Young. But <laughs> but but he does, like, he does look like he knows what he's doing in every situation. Yeah, he's, and he's a, he's a cool, calm head, you're right. And he's both-footed. He, like his left foot is, is more than good. And he's a he's an absolutely great option to have, and it gives you in game flexibility as well because he can play multiple positions himself. We even saw him play number ten against Watford. Come, <laughs> this is this is Ashley Young. Uh, Ashley Young is uh, it, we said it at the time. It was a great signing. Yeah, I was I was actually thinking about the the Watford game. I, I, I was thinking about that a lot too much on the plane on the way over to Spain, um, and I was thinking. Imagine we didn't sign Ashley Young, Ricky. You know, I knew, I know we needed somebody, but imagine this was last season and, and Matt Target was having one of those games. What happens? You keep him on, or you bring on Neil Taylor? <laughs> you keep him on. There's no two options there, pal. <laughs> but that's incredible, isn't it? Like that's your only, like that 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 was not like we were giving out about keeping Matt Target on for more than thirty minutes last week, and it is it it is a sign of progress. That, you know that we can say that and say like what why the fuck was he on for 45 we've got somebody there ready to come in and we obviously do young came in today and now i'm wondering fuck you know matt target has a job on his hands to get back in the team yeah and even even on the other side of that it was there was a moment where matt cash jumped up for a header and landed back down trod on someone's ankle and ended up twisting his own ankle my first thought was obviously poor bastard because i've been there before so innocuous and then you just think ah oh, for fuck's sake i'm gone yeah, but I was just thinking in that moment. That's grand, young to right back, Matt Target on. It's fine. Yeah. Like I didn't have any problems about it. And during that game as well, Ashley Young was the player. Thirty-six-year-old Ashley Young was the player who looked most comfortable when Saint Maximum had the ball. Yeah, like he was. He was the player who knew what to do. And there's just these players. Whenever you've got the ball yourself, and you line them up, you don't know what your options are. You don't have any. They seem to have blocked off everything. Even when they're completely committed to one side, because they're so confident in giving you the other side, you're thinking, huh, he obviously wants me to go there. <laughs> Better not. But Alan say Maxim, like add him to the fucking list. Dan James, Adama Trorori, Alan St. Maxim. Another, <laughs> another absolute headless chicken who just gets so much hype and shite talked about him. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I uh I don't know why you're taking that badly. I think it's just because I put him in my fantasy team. <laughs> so I feel like this is directed at me. But have you? I think you have seen me fantasy teams, and I'm wondering: are you being passive aggressive? No, no, Jay. I, I think I told you at the time what I thought about that team, man. I mean, 
uh, like he doesn't even he doesn't even have good numbers, Connor, which is what fantasy football is all about. But Christ, am I? He's a headless chicken, and people just uh, understandably people don't watch Newcastle United games. I mean, I probably watch too much football, but I've seen this lad play on plenty of occasions. And if you're only watching him on YouTube, you might think, "Wow, this guy's good." But also continue to watch the clips that it's showing you. Because they're being cut off very cleverly <laughs> at the end of those clips. He's sometimes just running out of play. Yeah. Yeah, you could do that with an Aiden McGeady highlights reel as well. <laughs> uh, going up, second week in a row as well, and then we're going to get used to this. Ezri Konza. Only Ezri Konza could jockey and shadow someone as he slides along his back, having been pushed over. You know, he's, he's pushed to the ground, he's sliding on the ground, and he's still managing to keep an eye on Callum Wilson and not let him pass him. It's it's unbelievable. It's absolutely incredible. It's actually my favourite moment of the match. It was like, <laughs> ah, well, Ezra, you're better than that. Don't get pushed to the ground. What the hell is that about? I mean, I know, I know Callum's a strong lad, but then all of a sudden, Ezra Conza was still in front of us. <laughs> Half a second passed, and Ezra Conza was just in position, blocking off Callum Wilson. <laughs> Who's rolling back to Matt Ritchie? It was absolutely—I have absolutely no idea what happened. I saw three replays of it, and I still don't understand what Ezri Kanza did. It was like a glitch in the matrix where Kanza is just on the ground and then he's just back up in position. It was like a 1990s football video game. Yeah. How is he there? That's no, that's not fair. That's that's someone's glitch there. Yeah, yeah. The computer's programmed to not let you score. Um. And, and like we say, that was the best moment. Like one of my favorite moments was when he took that touch in the box as well in the six yard box. He just held off Callum Wilson, had a look around to see if Martin is going to get his finger out. It's like, oh, oh, you're not. Had a look, had an all look around to see where the Newcastle player was, and just just dinked it out for a throw. <laughs> it's like this lad is cool as you like. Like that could so easily in the wrong hands have been a what the fuck moment, but it's just an amazing moment because it's Ezra Kanza. Yeah, and there's plenty of people whose hands you wouldn't have wanted it to be in. Yeah, in we all know who he's thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't uh this is, is just a coincidence, but Tyro Mings is next and he's going up. Um because like, you know, this this is the Vyman meter and Tyro Mings fucked up. Andreas Vyman did a lot of bad things when he was playing as well. But then Tyro Mings recovered, set up the first goal and won the penalty for the second goal. And he was good for the rest of the game as well. And I always say if you can if you can get away with Tyrone Mings' mistake that he usually makes in a the game, then he's a fucking excellent defender, and, and that's what we saw today. Yeah, and he he was brilliant defensively as well. Obviously, those two goal contributions are huge and won us the game. But it, towards the end of the game as well, it was big Tyrone who was there flinging his flinging his body and on the way and getting headers out of the box and landing in his own net afterwards and stuff. Ah, he was very, very good, and that's what Tyrone Mings is. The guy was saying to you that whenever the discussions around who the next captain was going to be, it was always going to be Tyrone Mings. I mean, he's an absolute colossus on and off the pitch. His leadership skills are undeniable off the pitch and on the pitch for those 35 games a season. (laughs) (laughs) Where he doesn't just turn around to the referee and beg for a free kick. He's absolutely immense. And he was brilliant again today after the fifth minute. And going up, Jacob Ramsey, we've talked loads about him and hopefully we talk more about him as the season goes on. We'll take a quick breather and we've got some sliding doors moments coming up. 
Imagine Young, Barry and Milner stayed sliding doors. This is one I think about all the time. September 2015. Aston Villa 2-0 up at Leicester. <laughs> I, like, honestly, I, I, I will never... like This is the perfect sliding doors moment. Tim Sherwood is in his pump. Only months, months earlier he led Villa to... The FA Cup final, having kept them up in a roller coaster ride, like you know, just to beat some of the big dogs, like you know, and and the and the outplayed. I remember they got screwed over of Man City, got two goals ruled out, and Man City got a goal that they shouldn't have gotten. I think it was three two, and uh, you know, so that that was the one they lost in this mad run where they beat Spurs and they beat Everton, and they were flying like they, they stay up, and I always think about this one, like so at the start of the 2015-16 season. Sherwood was making too many changes. You know, they beat Burnmouth first, I think, and then you know, something would go wrong, and then he would change something, and then something would go wrong again, and he would change it again, and it was like, what are you working on? Like, what, what is the plan? Like, it's, it's okay to lose a few games. We're going to do that. But you don't have to make wholesale changes every time. Then they went to Leicester, and they were fucking brilliant. They, they were absolutely classy. He stumbled across... Like he he's done this before. Two number tens, Carlos Gill and Jack Grealish. That's why we have a category named after us. We we played two number tens and bamboozled them, and they had it's Scott Sinclair floating around. Agbonhor was there, but he wasn't doing much. But um, and and they were class. Like Grealish scored. I think it was his first goal in the first half, and then Gill scored late enough in the second half, or maybe halfway through the second half. Two screamers. Like one one was Grealish bending it with his right foot. One was Gill bending it with his left foot. And 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 there he had it. It stumbled. It stumbled across this formation. And then, I think it was in the last eighteen minutes. <laughs> this sounds so insignificant, but Julian Lescock gave away a corner that he didn't have to give away. He made a mistake <laughs> and balls it up, and the crowd got up up on their feet. And Richie fucking Dalat, for the first time in his life, did something and scored a goal. <laughs> And from that moment on, with 17 minutes to go, Villa were fucked. Like, I, I, I've honestly, and I'm, I'm watching it from home, never seen an atmosphere like it. And then, like, the sliding doors moment there is that Sherwood then, instead of sticking with the formation that, that buried Leicester for 70 minutes, he changed it again the next week, changed the team. Villa went on and got relegated. Leicester went on and won the league. So I wonder... I wonder if they had just held on, if Lescott didn't make that mistake, Villa saw his job out 1-2-0, maybe even 3-0 the way they were playing. What would happen? Like, I, I think I think they stay up. I don't think they get relegated from that because I think he stays with that formation and that team. I think we see a Leeds-style season where they're, they're brilliant, they're electrifying, and they're stupid as well a lot <laughs> of the time. But he's still getting praise all the way in Villa are, are exciting. I think Leicester get relegated. I think I think in a last gasp ditch attempt to keep themselves up, they hire Remy Guard to try and <laughs> arrest the, the flow and then Nigel Pearson comes back that summer then, you know, on a on a white horse to, to, to great applause and Claudio Ranieri just disappears into into oblivion. But then off the back of that, Villa and mid table team Leicester are gone. Villa replaced Idrisa Ganagay with Ngolo Kante. <laughs> because nobody's thinking about Kante really. They didn't win the league. And then there's a question of Jamie Vardy. He hasn't had that season. Do do Villa stay or do, do Villa get him? But I'm starting to think Sunderland get him. I had a look at the league. Sunderland stay up. They came 17th. So they're probably 
they're probably looking a bit more at the relegation fodder to see who they can pick off. And I think that's a like there's there's a there's a signing that could like change Sunderland's fortunes as well. They're not going to be splashing out for Will Grigg in League One. <laughs> <laughs> They've got Jamie Vardy under their nose. Mares is the other one, obviously that that left. I have a feeling he would just go to Liverpool. Or something. Like he's a he's a Liverpool signing. A Brendan Rodgers would like him. But there's so there's so much more. Like if you if you if you thought this was it, like Jack Grealish goes to Euro 2016 because Tim Sherwood's played him at number ten the whole season and he's shiting on about how great he is, like he always was. Like he was the one that said Grealish should go to England when when he was starting to play really well for Villa when he was a fucking Erdogan. <laughs> maybe Grealish rescues the Iceland game. I don't think he does. I don't think he's playing enough. And I think there's already a. <laughs> I think there's already an argument about how much game time he's getting in England. But I do think that Roy Hodgson is the sort of character that could, you know, be. He, he's always he's always uh, persuaded by public opinion. So I think he would bring Grealish along. But he would still get sacked after the Iceland game. Sam Allardyce comes in. Sam Allardyce probably recalls Michael Richards because he's doing well for Villa. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam Aris gets sacked. And then there's the question who replaces him? <laughs> Villa are fucking flying now. Don't, don't forget this. Carlos Gill has become the icon we thought he could be. And he's probably signed somebody better because of this. Sam Aris is sacked. The country want Tim Sherwood in as England manager. Southgate. Failed at Middlesbrough. Fuck that. Sherwood has proved himself. Spurs and Villa. Sherwood <laughs> gets the job. England go to the World Cup. Lose to Belgium in the group. Beat Colombia. Beat Sweden. Do they beat Croatia? I know you think they do. I know, <laughs> I know you think that Tim Sherwood beats Croatia because he's playing a more front foot, uncowardly style of football. England are in the World Cup final. And only because Julian Lescott conceded a corner that he didn't have to concede. Tim Sherwood is not a World Cup final manager. <laughs> that is a that is a glorious picture you've painted there. Just the, the idea that Roy Hodgson would have played Jack Grealish is definitely bang on. I mean, he was playing Wayne Rooney on the left wing. He needed anything in that situation. Yeah. Richie Delat, you said he didn't for the first time in his life. He did something. Well, he also robbed a living for a year from Aston Villa. <laughs> Add him to the list. Uh, Jordan Veratu and Idrissa Gay were signed by Sherwood that summer. I mean, I would bite your arm off for that midfield. No, I'd bite it off at the fucking shoulder, to be honest. And the, the really interesting question is, is whether everything you said there had have actually come to fruition, is whether those two would have had the career trajectories that, they, that they've subsequently had, had they been subjected to Sherwood's nonsense for more yeah. than two months. yeah. <laughs> Hang on, I don't like this. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> Sherwood plucked these boys from obscurity and gave them their chance. Um, they, but but like it is like it's like it's the Kante factor. And I know I know you're saying that Sherwood's coaching might have uh might have disabled them in the long run. But you know, Kante not winning the league and not being in that spotlight, I think he is available for a for a top half team to just go on by. Because people aren't noticing him, and then he would probably get bought the next season once he once he has a good season with Villa. But like that, you know, Conan, Conan, Engolo Kante is the most noticeable player I've ever seen on a football pitch. <laughs> There's nobody not noticing Engolo Kante in any game that young man has ever been involved in. He's literally everywhere. A phrase that gets used far too much. Engolo Kante has a shot 
the keeper catches it, and it's in Golo Kante that's breaking up the subsequent counter-attack. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. I mean, talking about Ezri Kanza being a glitch in a computer game there, and Golo Kante is absolutely preposterous as an idea. Never mind as a footballer. He doesn't make any sense. So you're saying 2016-17 Villa wouldn't have in Golo Kante? <laughs> Look, I'm saying it's unlikely. I'm not, I'm not saying it's definitely not going to happen. <laughs> and that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. All right, questions we can't answer, but probably will. Have you ever seen 130 million pissed away like this? <laughs> Let me read out some signings. Nuno Tavares, 7.2 million. Albert Sambi Lukonga, 15.75 million. Ben White, 50 million. Martin Odegaard, 30 million. Arne Ramsdale, 24 million. Arsenal have spent the most this summer, and I don't know where it's gone. Like, it, it, it just chucked it away. It's like, uh, like that scene in Wolf of Wall Street where they're just throwing money off the boat to try and pretend like they're rich. <laughs> like, nobody's buying it. The, the, the FBI are on to you. The cows have come home. The chickens are here to roost. Yeah, I mean, it it really is quite astounding, astounding that that's what they've ended up with for that money. I mean, the first thing that springs to my mind whenever you said that, when you're throwing around figures like that, is is the praise that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer received for being shrewd and methodical during his first transfer window when he dropped $145 million on Daniel James, England's sixth best right-back and a refrigerator. If we were being really kind on Edu, though, and the Arsenal Transfer Committee, you could say it was a really, real, real stroke of genius in the negotiations for Ramsdale to have 20% of the fee, £6 million that is contingent on Ramsdale and Arsenal doing well, because that's never going to materialise. That will never have to be paid. Yeah. And that would be that would be brilliant from Edu, were it not for the fact that twenty four million of real money was paid up front. I mean that that's an absolute crime. I I text you a screenshot before the Brentford game began of Arsenal's first eleven with just the words, "Look at the fucking state of this." <laughs> and Arsenal have three players now. How has it come to this? It's absolute madness. I mean Smith Rowe, the poor guy. I really hope he was smart enough to demand a release clause. I hope he was chatting to Jack Grealish. Yeah. Like, if a big team comes in for me, I want to be guaranteed I can go. Yeah. Tierney's better than Mendy. That should be alarm bells for Arsenal fans. We all know how much Pep loves to drop 50 million on a fullback. <laughs> and, like, what a sign in Saka would be for Madrid or Munich. But seriously, though, like, you'd, you'd nearly feel sorry for their fans if they weren't so deluded. Like, introspection is difficult, particularly when faced with. It's a real brutal reality of their spectacular demise, but it was 15 years ago now. They've had a long time to get used to it. It's it's quite incredible how sticky those feelings of superiority are. I mean, Nottingham Forest fans aren't demanding European football. Those days are over. But the other thing that's proved unshakable is just that stench from the attitude of the players like Ozil and Aubameyang who've been allowed to infect the club. And the underbelly, just the soft, soft underbelly of every player wearing an Arsenal shirt that has been asked to defend for the last 10 years. I mean, how does that seep into a culture of a club? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Three managers and hundreds of players, and they all stink. Like Ben White during that Brentford game was so indecisive, so ponderous, and so pointless. 
And the other way to think about it is you can really see why Arsenal went out and spent 50 million on him. Because he looked every inch the archetypal Arsenal centre half. They just they just had to have him come hell or high water. We are getting our hands on this man. It it's um yeah the sympathy for the fans is probably right you know because they they're not under great ownership but finally finally the ownership is spending a lot of money and if I was the fan I'd be like whoa 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 no 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 I don't. Don't don't spend it like that. Like you, let's talk about it first. Yeah, we want you to spend the money, but hang on, hang on a second. Like don't don't just piss it all away on five players. Like yeah, and five like you know, you mentioned Ben White. Odegaard was already there. He wasn't great. Like was it one goal and two assists? And Aaron Ramsdale is he going to start? Like you know, I would hope not for their sake. So it's a big big pot of money. I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, does Mikel Arteta? think that this is a clever sort of ploy similar to Man City like you know we buy remember Man City used to fucking ride themselves like they they, they always bought players from 20 to 60 million and they thought they thought that was really noble of them <laughs> to do that you know but obviously then they just fleshed out the squad of all these 60 million pound players but that was Man City they were coming from having won league championships before Pep Guardiola took over and I'm wondering has, has Mikel Arteta just just gotten that confused with the, the reality that this isn't Man City. This is a rebuild job. You can't just jump straight to spending money like that on Aaron Ramsdale before you actually have a keeper. You know, buy a keeper first and then think about getting a backup keeper. Um, same with a defender. Buy a defender first and then think about it. It's um to, to go from David Louise and William to now he's pissing away the money like this. Having spent $130 million and not one player where you're like, oh, no, that's interesting. Do you know if they had a signed signed a Saka, for example, or you know, but they already have him, obviously. But if they they brought in that type of player, where you thought, right, no, that's definitely improving the team. But I'm looking at the signings and thinking, well, lucky they have Saka and Tierney. <laughs> you know, lucky they're still there for now. Yeah, it it it, it, it really is. It's it's astounding how how quickly it's just been allowed to disintegrate around them. Because their team is absolutely atrocious. Like Pepe has to be the worst signing in the history of the Premier League. Yeah, seventy-five million. Seventy-five million. Like he's probably in the top twenty transfer fees of all time. I know there's a lot of players stinking that up, but Pepe for seventy-five million is a disgrace off the back of an average season in France. It was just, oh, what are you doing, lads? And they've just done it again. They've done it again. With Ramsdale, they've done it again. With Ben White, it's insane stuff. But Ben White is fine and will prove to be a good centre half. But Arsenal needed to sign someone different to Ben White to sort them out. A message for Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp just before we move on. Um, I, I just wanted to highlight it because you don't often see, well, you never see managers do something like this. So he, he sat down with uh, the Cop Outs founder and discussed homophobia in football. And it was really. Uh, it was about it was about some of the homophobic chanting that was going on by by some Liverpool fans as well at the at the Norwich game and it's 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 based around a Chelsea song it's it's, it's called Chelsea Rent Boy or something like that but um, we don't need to get into that or anything but it, it, the style of the interview or or the chat as well it was it was Klopp interviewing this guy basically the founder of Copwoods who's doing a lot of good work around homophobia in football and 
I just thought like that's that's classic. You, you don't. It really is like the definition of classic. Like, you don't, you don't see that that often from um from any manager. I was I was thinking of the equivalent and and this is GA in Ireland. So people probably don't know this, but um Dublin or like you know the they they won six All Ireland Championships in a row. Um, obviously people in Ireland know this. People probably don't know this. <laughs> um, so like they, you know, they're the greatest team of all time in Gaelic football. But uh, like you couldn't couldn't get a line out of any of the players or any of the managers during the season on anything. Never mind anything like someone as noble as this. Like if you try to contact Dublin, it has to go through the media manager, and you're told to fuck off. Basically, um, sometimes the players will be put available for a for a commercial shoot. You know, and it's uh, it's sad that that that's that that's their reality. And this is amateur amateur footballers, but they have like a, a manager at the top of a global professional club worldwide club like this is uh and coming out and speaking like this and so like so passionately and strongly and like obviously against some people who are liverpool fans is um is really admirable and not someone that you see enough of and he just deserves credit before we before we move on yeah and it's it's not surprising that klopp finds himself on the right side of an argument i mean he's been strong on racism on greed on scumbag fans before and I say strong because that's what it is. He's not just saying what you would get from normal managers. You're right to say managers don't normally do this. It's always bland, generic stuff. Like, we don't like to see that. And then they just kind of move off the topic because they don't have the same confidence, the same courage and the convictions that Jurgen Klopp is. I mean, he calls them what they are. He calls them idiots. He calls them disgusting. He talks about how pointless and toxic and irrelevant it is. And that's all true, particularly the first point about calling them disgusting scumbags. Speaking of disgusting scumbags, fair play to Harry Kane. <laughs> fair play to Harry Kane for going back to training. Um, great to see. What a like top professional. He's only missed two games. He might miss the game on Sunday, but um, but he's back from holiday. I don't know what everybody else was expecting. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's just, it's just um, it's brilliant. Like you know, when we're talking about class, like you know, this man decided to. To come back and and do the thing he's being paid to do. So um, yeah, no hats off to him as well. The way we're mentioning people. Yeah, yeah. While we're while we're praising people, you know, I mean, back from holiday. I mean, the Euros only ended six weeks ago. Like like the rest of us, it's you have to take a good six week break after your last performance in your job, which was one hundred and twenty minutes long, running around the football pitch. You know, <laughs> you need that six week break to recuperate in between that and doing it again. Of course, he deserved that time off. That's what you would expect. I mean, Douglas Louise, of course, and Richarlison, even last week, played a game about a week after winning the Olympics. <laughs> but Harry Kane... In Japan. In Japan, for fuck's sake. But Harry Kane just needs that needs that break from going from the London Stadium to Wembley six weeks later. <laughs> uh, fair play to him. And fair play to Villa. We're up and running. 2-0. Burnley next. We know we don't like that fixture. But let's uh let's get stuck into it. Look, there's not much we don't need to panic that much as much so far. We'll get into this next week. Remind me to talk about this, but Grealish is gone. I feel I feel a bit of a weight off the shoulder and that like I don't feel like we need to make top four straight away, you know, to try and keep him. We can just progress, progress, progress. It's a process. And uh Yeah. That's that's the end. Thanks very much for listening. And we will see you later. I suppose I'll go and enjoy my holiday in Spain now. <laughs> see please, please do. <laughs> yeah. See you later.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 